All right. Um, last week we started the uh, method of interpretation titled the literal grammatical method. We got partway through that. Just to review the context, uh, there are different approaches to uh, interpretation that people have used over the centuries. Um, We talked about the Jewish method, which started out okay, but then kind of went toward the allegorical method. And the allegorical method kind of takes what the Bible says, but it doesn't look at what it actually means. It, it gives an outside meaning to the text. You kind of give it your own meaning, whatever you want it to mean. So it's more symbolic than literal. Um, we looked at the uh, literal method, which focuses on just the words and applies the words themselves and never really gets to the meaning of the text. So that, again, is kind of superficial. And then there was a devotional, which is kind of a combination of the allegorical and the literal, because it focuses just on the words, and then you give it your own meaning. You, you apply it to yourself as you see fit. <clears throat> and then we saw the liberal uh, method, which is the first one, which is really designed as an attack on Scripture. It's not really a method of understanding what Scripture means. It's an attempt to prove the Scripture is wrong. They start out by saying it's not divine, it's not inspired, it's just a purely human work, etc. So they try to discredit the Bible. And actually, none of those are really methods of interpretation. They are approaches to understanding Scripture. But they don't really interpret. It's all superficial. In all of those, you end up giving Scripture whatever meaning you want. This method, the literal grammatical method, is the only one that is really interpretation. Okay, And it, we just defined literal and grammatical last week. Literal means it's the real meaning. This is not the, the wrong literal where you look just at the words. You could substitute the word real for literal. It's the real meaning of the text. And it's grammatical because you analyze the text in order to get that meaning. <clears throat> and this this is the only one that really works because you get down to the text this um, well from now on what we and everything we say from now on about interpretation relates to this method okay so when we use the word interpretation or hermeneutics it's referring to this method of interpretation because it's the only one that works it is real interpretation it's not a fake like the other ones. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so we got partway through this last time. Uh, this is based on inspiration, which means that the word inspiration means that God breathed or exhaled, and this, of course, refers to the words, not to the writers. The writers were not inspired. God didn't breathe out the writers. He breathed out the words. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that the writers were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit motivated them, enabled them to write, but what they wrote was breathed out by God, his actual words. 
so we get to the doctrine of interpretation based on this little literal grammatical uh, method of approaching scripture. So we get some basic principles here. First of all, we talked about this last week. The source of scripture is from God. Jeremiah chapter 1, God says, I'm putting my words in your mouth. So when you go and talk to the Jews about their sin and the coming judgment, you will be saying what I tell you to say. Paul claimed the same when in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He said that uh, he was speaking the words that the Holy Spirit gave him. And in Galatians chapters 1 and 2, he indicated how he got his uh, gospel. Got it directly from God. He didn't get it from human beings. So the source of Scripture is from God. The permanence of Scripture, we saw in John chapter 10, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. He claimed that God was his father, and therefore they wanted to stone him for blasphemy because he was making himself equal with God. And he says, oh, wait a minute, guys. You know, I've done a lot of good things here. <laughs> and basically, he says that the works that he's done prove that he really is God. And he says, David said, and he quotes there from, from Psalm 82, that God called the leaders of Israel gods because they were his representative. They had his word and were supposed to give it to the people. They didn't do a very good job of it. But in that, that whole psalm, he's saying that they're in trouble. <laughs> they're going to be judged because they weren't doing the job God gave them to do. But he still called them gods because they were his representative. And so Jesus said, if, if God calls them gods and they just receive the word, then why do you have a problem with me saying I'm God when I proved it with, with all the works that I've done? Mm -hmm. They don't have an answer for that. No, We'll get to a a scripture a little bit later um, where they confront him and he kind of turns the tables on them and (laughs) they're kind of left like (laughs) kind of slack jawed. (laughs) No response. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we looked at uh, Matthew thirteen thirty one. Heaven and earth will pass away before my words. You know, my words will never pass away, Jesus said. And in Luke sixteen seventeen, we looked at uh, not one little corner of a letter is going to disappear. He says, or going to fail. And uh, I added a verse here, Matthew five seventeen and eighteen, which kind of expands on Luke, because Luke focuses on the failure of the little letter. Matthew expands on it and says not the smallest letter or even one of those little corners of a letter is going to go away until the whole law is fulfilled. Okay, so it's permanent. It's not going anywhere. Right, so in uh, Matthew 13, Jesus says that his words are scripture and permanent. And in Luke and Matthew 5, it talks about the Old Testament. Uh, Mark 13, I'm sorry. Mark 13, Luke 16, and Matthew 5. So, Mark 13, Jesus says his words will not pass away. In Luke and uh, Matthew 5, 
it talks about uh, the Old Testament, the law, not passing away until it's fulfilled. So as far as the source of Scripture, it's from God, and the permanence of Scripture, it isn't going anywhere. So these are basic principles underlying this literal grammatical approach. You approach the Bible, you kind of give it the benefit of the doubt. And this is true of any literary criticism, which is a problem we have with with the uh, higher critics, because they started by denying that the Bible is what it says it is. You can't do that. (laughs) Literary criticism starts by assuming that it is what it claims to be then as you do your analysis, you can verify that or disprove it. Okay, but you've got to start by saying, okay, we'll take this at face value. And then you do your analysis. So the literal grammatical method is based on that. And this is really the way we think anyway. It's, very, it's logical, it's systematic. Whenever you sit down to read something, this is the way you approach it. So this is kind of the natural way to do it. And this is kind of where we stopped last time. We have the testimony of Christ and the claims of the writers regarding the nature of Scripture. Um, David is um, said to have prophesied. Let's turn to that, Acts chapter 1. This is after Christ's ascension. The uh, disciples are gathered together. It says about 120 of them there. And uh, Peter stands up and says, uh, we need to find a replacement for Judas. <laughs> he left. Okay. Um, so, verse um, 16, Acts chapter 1, Peter's talking. He says, Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his portion in this ministry. And skip down to verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man dwell in it, and his office let another man take. So Peter says there that David prophesied regarding Judas. And he says there that this is the fulfillment of the Scripture which the Holy Spirit prophesied through David. Now, if you go back and read those two Psalms, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, which are quoted here, you'll find that David does not mention Judas. (laughs) He's, you know, he doesn't say anywhere that this is going to happen later on. He's talking about his personal enemies. And he's saying, God, why are you letting them do this to me? I don't deserve this. I haven't done anything wrong. You know, they're not being fair. And so he says, you need to get them. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Okay, so... Peter is taking this as a, a application to Judas because Judas did the same thing to Christ that David's enemies did to David. Okay, especially in Psalm 109, 
David said, this was a guy I loved, and yet he turned on me <laughs> and left. And so Peter says, this applies to Judas. And since David said, you know, let his house be desolate, of course, Judas went and killed himself. So that's kind of the end of that. And let another one take his place. So he, Peter's saying, we ought to do that because we need to fulfill, you know, this prophecy. So David is said to be a prophet. Okay, that's scripture. And so the Psalms there are seen as Scripture, the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul's writings in the Old Testament are, are seen as Scripture. Uh, you've undoubtedly heard this verse before. We won't turn to it, but 2 Peter chapter 3.16. Um, the book of 2 Peter is all about false teachers, parallel to Jude, as we saw when we studied Jude. So he says there, that there are a lot of things in Paul's writings that are difficult difficult to understand. And there are. <laughs> you know, Paul kind of goes all over the place in his writing anything. Stay on target, you know. And he says, which some teachers twist as they do the rest of the scriptures. The scriptures, anytime you see the word scriptures in the New Testament, it's a reference to the Old Testament. That's all they had. The New Testament wasn't written yet. Okay, so he's equating Paul's writings with the Old Testament scriptures. So there's a testimony that Paul's writing are scripture along with the Old Testament. Other writers, uh, Acts 13.27, uh, we might as well turn to these. Um, this is a reference basically to the Old Testament prophets and to the New Testament apostles uh, as uh, speaking God's word. Acts 13 is the uh, Paul's first missionary journey. He's speaking up there in the, uh, this I think is Pisidian Antioch. It's in southern Turkey there, just just around the corner, <laughs> if you go up the coast there of the Mediterranean and up to Turkey and you go left, you get into uh, um, Pisidia. So there's a town of Antioch in Pisidia to distinguish it from the Antioch, which is down lower where Paul spent some time preaching and teaching. Uh, so he's up there in the synagogue. Um, <clears throat> In verse 27 of chapter 13, he says, For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him, that's Christ, nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these by condemning him. <laughs> so the, the Pharisees didn't really hold, well, they said they believed the prophets, but they didn't believe what they said about Christ. And when they killed Christ, they actually fulfilled what the prophet said would happen, especially Isaiah, talking about the crucifixion. Uh, Luke 24, we don't need to turn to that one because it, it's kind of the same thing, but Christ, this is on the road to Emmaus. After his resurrection, he's walking with the disciples. And it says that he began to talk to them from Moses through the Old Testament, everything the prophets had said about the Messiah. So that's... You know, Christ is giving that authority. You know, it's scripture, it's inspired. And Second Peter 3, 2 talks about 
both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles speaking God's word. Okay, so uh, we have plenty of evidence there. The Old Testament and New Testament both are inspired by God. Authoritative. And then finally, Christ quotes from the Septuagint, um, which makes it authoritative. We need to talk a little bit about the Septuagint. Um, just to be sure we cover all the bases. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. A bit of history, we've talked about this before. Um, Alexander the Great died in 323. His kingdom was divided between four his four main generals. One of those generals was Ptolemy, starts with a P, but it's kind of silent. And... Um, he had uh, northern Africa, Egypt, and, and uh, Israel. And he reigned in, from 323 until 286, 285, 285. He died. So his son, Ptolemy II, took over, and he reigned from 285 to 246. He was kind of an interesting guy. I, we discussed last time, I think, or the time before, that the Ptolemies were kind of tolerant to Israel. They would let Israel do whatever they wanted as far as worshiping God and all that stuff. They just said, just remember we're in charge. <laughs> so the Jews said, fine. Uh, the Seleucids up north, you know, they didn't like that. They invaded later on and tried to Hellenize them. We have Antiochus Epiphanes which means the illustrious one. The people called him Antiochus Epimenes, which means madman, uh, because that's what he was, <laughs> a little crazy. But the Ptolemies were tolerant, okay? So during Ptolemy II's reign, he wanted to develop his part of the Greek Empire. And there was a library at Alexandria, and it became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, because it, it was massive and largely due to Ptolemy. He told the librarian, he says, I want a copy of every book in print in this library. <laughs> he says, I don't care if you have to buy the books or if you have to have them copied. I want a copy of everything in this library. So he said, okay. So the librarian looks and finds that they don't have a copy of the Hebrew Scriptures. So he goes up to Jerusalem. Of course, the Ptolemies were in charge of that. And he hired, actually, 72 scribes to come back to Alexandria and make a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament to put into the library. So why did they want a Greek translation? Nobody spoke Hebrew. <laughs> the scribes, the priests in Jerusalem spoke Hebrew, but nobody else did, not even the Jews, the common man, they all spoke Aramaic. And by this time, everybody spoke Greek. So you want a Greek copy so everybody can read it. It does no good if you go to the library to check out a book and you can't read it. <laughs> so they got a Greek copy of the, of the um, Hebrew Scriptures. It took them several years to do that. <clears throat> so it's called the Septuagint because Septuagint is Latin for 70. Now actually there were 72 scholars who did it, but they rounded down to 70. <laughs> And LXX is abbreviation, it's Roman numerals for 70. Okay, L is 50 and X is 10. So you got an L and 20, which comes to 70. 
So every time you see a quote in the New Testament, a quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament, they're quoting the Septuagint. Because that's the only thing they could read. Okay, They couldn't read the Hebrew. And you will notice, if you check the quote in the New Testament and you go back to the Old Testament in our English Bible to read that quote, you'll find out they're, they're usually different. They're not stated the same way. And you think, it's supposed to be a quote. Well, the problem is, our English Old Testament is based on the Hebrew text. And the Septuagint is the Greek translation. Whenever you translate from one language to another, <laughs> things change. <laughs> so, the quotes in the New Testament are not going to line up with the, the original statements in the Old Testament. Now, the substance doesn't change. They just kind of said it differently. Yeah, they're close, but but um, not identical. We have the same kind of thing in the different translations we have floating around these days. Uh, the New American Standard, the ESV, and others that are focused on the grammar, they really do a translation. This word in the Greek means this word in English, and so they just translate you know, word for word almost, what the Greek says, or the Hebrew. Other translations, the more interpretive ones, like the NIV, they go with the idea. You know, this is what it says in Greek, but this is the way we would say it in English. So they don't give you the word for word Greek, they give you the idea in English. It's a little easier to read that way, because English isn't structured the way Greek or Hebrew <laughs> are structured. Um... But that's, it's really interpretive. It's, it's not a translation. I want to call it an interpretive translation, but <laughs> that's kind of an oxymoron. <clears throat> but they're stated differently, but it's the same idea, the same point. There are times I found when the NIV it does a little too much interpretation from my point of view, and I think they get it wrong. <laughs> so, you know, they say, well, it says this in Greek, but it this is the way we say it in English. I said, no, that's not what it says in the Greek. <laughs> that's not the idea. <clears throat> so that's why the, the, the quotes in the New Testament don't match up with the, with the statements in the Old Testament. Okay, because one's Hebrew and one's Greek. There are people who will not touch the Septuagint for that reason. They say the, the Hebrew is the original, that's the authoritative, so... Let's get rid of the Septuagint. <laughs> that doesn't work. Isn't the old, I'm sorry, Terry, what language, um, and I've seen the Dead Sea Scrolls um, mm -hmm. when they were Balboa and what language were they written in? That's a good question. Um, I think they were Hebrew, but it could have been Aramaic or Greek. Yeah. Um, they, if they're Jewish writings, they could have been Aramaic, but they could also have been Greek. I haven't seen them, so I can't say. It's yeah, it is fascinating. Yeah. But there's all variations before Ezra put everything together. It was not all one language. And all the different. I mean, it was Moses wrote a different script. Mm -hmm. Well, the language did develop. Yeah, yeah, the language did develop. Yeah, uh, I know the book of Daniel is written in two languages. Mm-hmm, Hebrew and Aramaic, yeah. It was in 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in there. I have a DVD that, that talks about how Hebrew started and how it morphed over the years into what's formal Hebrew. Yeah. So the Old Testament that we have in our Bibles is based on the Masoretic text, the Hebrew text, and that's a later text. It really is. Um, to me, it was extremely reassuring to find out how close to the, um, the translations that we have today these ancient texts were. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're absolutely um, spot on. Right. It just, it's a wonderful experience. Yeah, it, it's a, that's a good point to bring up with people who say, well, you know, the Bible can't be trusted because it's changed over the years. You say, well, wait a minute. That <laughs> didn't change. The, the text we have, the Masoretic text, was like from 1000 A.D. You know? And uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls are from 1st century or before, and they're identical. <laughs> The, the system they had of copying was very precise. You know, they, they, they didn't make mistakes. So there aren't any changes there, really. Mm-hmm. So when Christ quotes from the Septuagint, even though some people want to get rid of it because it's not the original Hebrew, he, he authenticates it. You know, that was, the, that was the scripture that they had available. He quotes from it as authoritative. So what you going to do? <laughs> they didn't have the Hebrew text handy. <clears throat> so more on the doctrine of interpretation. The New Testament in general quotes the Old Testament as being inspired. Uh, we have that in several places. First of all, it's indicated to be the voice of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Hebrews 3, 7 quotes, it says, Just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, etc. Uh, a quote from Psalm 95, 7. Okay. So, it attributes that to the Holy Spirit. David wrote it, but the Holy Spirit gave him the words to write. Uh, the Old Testament is also seen as the statements of God. In Mark 12, 26, it talks about God spoke to Moses saying, and this is the burning bush uh, experience. So the, the account we have there in Exodus chapter 3 is attributed to God, God doing the speaking. Those are his words. And uh, Acts 13, 32-35, it says, God has fulfilled this promise to the fathers. You are my son, today I have begotten you. A quote from Psalm 2. So again, this is what God has said. He fulfilled the promise that he had made to the fathers. So the New Testament acknowledges that the Old Testament is inspired. Yeah, that's a that's a typical question. Uh, 
God preserved the personalities and the writing styles of the writers. They weren't robots, you know. God didn't say, okay, write this. <laughs> and write it this way. You know, they were human beings. You know, the four Gospels. You know, the four Gospels are written by the disciples who are observing the same things happening but they're different accounts because they're looking at it from different perspectives. And so God preserved the human element in there, but he made sure that what they wrote is what he wanted written. One of the things I've read is scholars will sit around and talk about different scriptures and say, well, see, this is more like so-and-so writes, and this mm-hmm. is more like, you know, they'll, they'll talk about the different writers and their styles. Mm-hmm. The content is Paul's. The writing style is not Paul's. <laughs> because Hebrews is very precise in presenting the evidence. Paul writes all over the place. He's the king of rabbit trail. You don't. Just, to me, it would be just like you have four creatures preaching the same verse. They don't preach it in the same way. You guys wouldn't. Yeah. You wouldn't teach it the same way. You wouldn't preach it the same way. I've always been in the conversation, so they say, was it the spirit or was it Paul? I just said, yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, it's a combination. Now, <clears throat> excuse me. So, so far we've been talking about the background for the literal grammatical method. It starts by assuming the scripture is what it claims to be, the word of God, and we've seen that. Okay? So we're going to move on next to the principles of interpretation within this literal grammatical approach. Okay? How, what things do you have to focus on as you try to interpret a scripture? These are the things to look for. And when we finish the principles, we'll get into the process, to the procedure. You know, what, the principles tell you what to look for, the process tells you how to do it. <laughs> so we're going to go on then, we'll get started on this, may not finish it tonight. We're not going to finish it tonight. Um, So these are going to be the principles of interpretation for the literal grammatical approach to interpreting, which again is the only one that really works because you actually get to the meaning of the text. All of the others you supply your own meaning, basically. So the first principle is to realize the priority of the original languages. If you're going to understand what the Greek means, you have to get into the Greek. There was a, I just heard on the radio the other day, they were talking about this guy's early America around the founding of the country or a little afterwards. He was an old guy. I have to be careful when I use that word old these days. <laughs> the older I get, the younger old is. <laughs> yeah. like he was like in his 80s, 90s, something like that. And he realized that, that if he was going to understand the Old Testament, he really needed to know Hebrew. <laughs> so he started studying Hebrew at, at 
that later stage in life just so he could understand what the the Old Testament meant. And um, that's true. You know, if you don't know the original, you're not going to know what the original says because anytime you translate from one language to another, something is going to be lost in the translation. We're going to talk about that as we go through this. I have to get a hand out here in just a second. Have you studied Greek and Hebrew? Yes. <laughs> Aramaic? Aramaic? No. Not Aramaic. So, there are several aspects of the priority of the original languages. Okay. Uh, the original autographs, that is, the handwritten copies by the apostles, were inspired. Copies were not inspired. Now, the people who think that the King James is the only legitimate copy will say that that is inspired. But they're on thin ice there. <laughs> Nobody agrees with them. Okay? The originals were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The copies were not. Right? That's one reason that the people want to do away with the Septuagint, because that's a copy. <laughs> Plus, it's in Greek, so it's, it kind of perverts the, the Hebrew, they would say. So we need to depend on the original languages for accuracy. You need to have an accurate text if you're going to get to the meaning of the text. If you do your Bible study from just the English translation or Spanish translation, if you use that or whatever else, you're going to be limited. You're kind of handicapped because it's one step removed. <laughs> And things change in translation. Now we have, I gave you a list of, of resources earlier in our study, we have language helps listed there. Books that will help you get into the original languages. So you don't have to spend the rest of your life studying Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> you have people who have already done that. <laughs> really, nobody these days, except for the scholars, you know, are really experts in those languages. When I was in seminary, a couple of the Hebrew teachers, I mean, they could have a conversation in Hebrew. <laughs> they were, they really knew it. One of the teachers I had for Greek was like that, too. He was just marvelous. <laughs> How did you learn that? <clears throat> but most people aren't like that. No, sorry. And among English translations, it's not necessarily the best. Uh, if you're going to understand things like idioms, figures of speech, you got to get back to the original. What is an idiom? An idiom is basically a statement that means something different than it actually says. It comes from, as I have there on the, the slide, from the word idios, the Greek word idios, which means unique or something unto itself. It's used to indicate someone's own possessions, like 
John chapter 1, it says Christ came unto his own. It's the word idios, his own things. Okay. Uh, we have that also in uh, Jude 6, where it says the angels left their, in the New American Standards, it says their proper abode. That word proper is idios, the abode that was made for them, <laughs> unique to them. Okay. We get our word idiot from this word because an idiot isn't like anybody else. <laughs> A thing unto himself. That's the word that was coming to mind. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's it. That's it. That's it. So every language has its idioms, but they don't translate. For example, if you go to the doctor for your appointment and you go to the receptionist and say, "I'm here for my appointment," she might say, "Okay, take a chair." Well, <laughs> she doesn't mean pick up a chair and leave. She means sit down. So take a chair is an idiom. It means something different than it says. It has its own medium, meaning, excuse me, idios, its own meaning, something unique to that. So when you have a translation that says this is what it says in Greek and that's equivalent to these words in English and they translate an idiom that way, you're not going to get it <laughs> because idioms don't translate. <clears throat> figures of speech as well. Figures of speech are like word pictures. There's a huge book out there by A.T. Robertson. I think it's called Word Pictures in the New Testament. He goes through all of these word, the figures of speech in the New Testament and explains what they mean. That's of great help to know what the writer's talking about because you know, we're not going to get them. Okay. So you need that for those uh, issues. Also for grammar and uh, syntax, grammar is the building blocks, the nouns, the pronouns, the verbs, subject-verb agreement, pronoun reference, all of that stuff. Syntax uh, has to do with how you put all that together to make a sentence and express an idea. Well, every language works differently. So if you're going to understand what a, a language means, or what a sentence or statement means, you're going to have to get into that language. You're going to have to know how the grammar works and how the syntax works, or you're not going to get it. So this is why we have those language helps on the resource list, okay? because you can look these things up. And um, I have an example there, as it says up there, that the conditional sentences in Greek. I want to go over that just to give you an idea of what we're talking about when we talk about grammar and syntax. But we've got about three minutes left, so <laughs> we can't do that tonight. We'll have to do that next week. Okay. Well, Any... In Spanish, you, some, you put the verb before the noun, and in, in English, you know, you can't just change one to the other. Right, right. Well, English is so chopped up with the verb. Different languages, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. in Spanish, you don't always need a subject. Yeah. But also in Spanish, you have a lot more pairs. So. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the obstacles that um, the Wycliffe uh, Bible translators yeah. encountered. Um, I heard about one um, example where um, they were trying to translate the, uh, the verses in Revelation where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. And, and in this particular culture, um, 
the uh, that was never done. They would they would stand outside a house and call out to the people inside. But if they knocked on the door, it uh, it had a totally different mm -hmm. uh, uh, bad connotation. So they had to completely change the way that they translated that particular verse because to translate it literally mm -hmm. would not have conveyed the meaning at all right. that it was intended. Yeah, they have to go they have to translate idea to idea instead of word to word, yeah. Like the NIV and, and similar translation. You know, Terry, uh, one of the things that's been kind of bothering me is not every preacher preaches from the same translation. And so you come in and, and I got a King James Bible and I get something else. And so I, I have this loaded into my, <laughs> into my phone here, see? And I have 66 different translations <laughs> in my phone. <laughs> and how do you... That's helpful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 66 translations. That's a big phone. <clears throat> All right. So, any other any other observations, comments about any of that? I think we need okay. to remember too that um, God um, gets the meaning of His message. Um, he conveys that to us regardless of the. Well, I'm not going to say regardless, but um, if we sincerely search the scriptures, um, it's like Billy Graham said, I, it's not the scriptures that I don't understand that bother me, it's the scriptures that I do understand. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, God's going to get his, um, his concepts and his ideas and his principles across to us. I know we can examine every leaf on every tree, but I... Um, uh, we get, we can get too tangled up in that. So. Right, right. Yeah. Even heard, you know, you put cookies for the kids on the bottom so that they can reach them. Mm-hmm. You know, God knows where our intelligence is. Right. So all right. this is on the bottom so we can reach it. In fact, that's the point we're going to make a little later here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to get ahead. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Yeah, I guess we won't be here next week because it's the. Oh, that's right. The fun fest. Yeah. You're all expected to be here in the parking lot next week. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to print out your uh, uh, whatever that thing in PowerPoint? Well, I have to talk to Pastor about that because it's kind of extensive. <laughs> I don't know how many pages it would come out to. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, what, what I would like to do is to have this posted on the website uh, so people can access it on the website and, and go through it. Yeah, uh, I was taking pictures of it tonight. I was asked by, by Linda to take pictures yeah. and you know, send them to her. Mm -hmm. So hopefully she can read them. Because yeah, <laughs> it's far away. Yeah, so I have talked to Pastor about that as well. So I, I don't want to post it now because, well, for two reasons. First, I'm not finished with it. Every time I review this, I always tweak it. <laughs> Every, You'll yeah. tweak it after you post it, too. Well, maybe. Maybe. 
Also, I hate to have people, you know, I used to do workshops like this at school on grammar, writing issues, and reading issues, and stuff like that. And we posted those to the school's website so students could access them after the workshop to review. But my fear was that people would access those instead of coming to the workshop. And that's terrible because they're just backup. You know, these are notes, and then I talk from the notes. So if they don't attend the workshops, they don't really get the point. This, you know, so I don't want to put it up there too soon. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, uh, well, I did, but it's, we're going to have to save it for next week because it deals with these uh, conditional sentences. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be here till midnight. All right, let's uh, close in prayer.